Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome, my friends, to episode 89 of Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill, your hostess with the mostest. Apologies for the slightly late arrival of this podcast. What can I say? Life got in the way while I was making other plans or whatever other nonsense you wish. Um, this is indeed episode 89 as we start into a new year. Am I going to change my tune? Am I going to change my whatever else? Probably not. Probably not. Let's see what happens. But glad to have you along for the ride and your continued support for the last however many years since 1872. However long I've been doing the podcast. Like I said before, I won't change till season two until I feel that we have moved significantly on from the situation that we find ourselves in. And as of yet, we do not. And I'm going to sort of get into that on this episode. So good morning, good morning from a grey and miserable January Dublin. Winter in Ireland isn't particularly beautiful, if you ask me. I mean, maybe if you live somewhere beautiful or are beautiful, your opinion of that might be slightly different. But as we say here, it's fierce mild. Um, we don't have snowy mountain tops or stunning vistas generally. Well, certainly not from a bunker, you don't. Um, winter sports, we don't do. And second homes to retreat to, like you beautiful Swedes, we do not have with your picturesque, or is that picaresque, small chimneys smoking wistfully and homemade soup on the stove. Soup? Well, I don't know. Moonshine, maybe. 
Is that more rock and roll of an answer? Before snapping on the skis for a downhill slalom. Um, there you go. Blah, blah, blah. It ain't like that here. It's grey and dank with sideways lashing rain that would cut through you and the wind that would turn your complexion ruddy. Ruddy, like all Irish people look. Nivea for Men is my new sponsor, indeed. Hence why normally we would spend this month sitting in the pub. Irish people certainly look better in the dark, or at the very least in some form of moody lighting. As comedian Dylan Moran, who is one of my favourites, has said before, the Irish sometimes look like they have someone else trying to escape out from under their own features. I suppose like a Scooby-Doo villain. If you crazy kids want a modern reference, and who can forget that when you used to put into Google, why are the Irish, dot, 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 well, the search engine used to fill fill out the blanks for you and put so ugly in after that. Now, I would like to think since then, well, since the heady days of Google in 1970s, no. Um, Since then, and let's not forget, I remember old Dublin in the 1980s, that we've expanded our gene pool somewhat and decided to eat more than beans and chips and go to the gym. So we have upped our game, darlings. I don't think anyone can deny that. But like it or not, January was the month for staying in the pub, getting in out of the fierce, mild weather and having a snifter or two. And no, that's not what you think it means. And what this brings me to for the new year, and the first podcast of the new year is somewhat a continuation of the last podcast residing on the other side of the fence that I did um, at the end of last year, the Anus Horribilis And no, that is not a porn injury. Um, The last podcast, did I get any pushback from that? Yeah, a little bit here and there. But like I said before, it felt like a good idea that maybe we should grasp the nettle, grasp the baton and maybe challenge some orthodoxies or rather challenge some of the, well, some of the things that are happening right now and try and be a bit brave and speak out because... There will be a time maybe when this may not be so easy. Who knows? Or I may be too lazy. But I will also, I will also try and, um, let's say, counter some criticism I received, some some comments, make some predictions for the year ahead, maybe. Um, I'm not going to say find some positivity because you ain't here for that. Um, you came to the bar because it serves one thing on tap and you know what that is. Oh, is it? Too much to say? It's just a standard bitter? Well, goddamn, I'm on fire. But at least, at the very least, try and consider the whys and wherefores of moving into now a third year of restrictions and rules and whatever else comes with the emergency, with maybe some random pithy comments about music thrown about with abandon here and there. There are some cool things happening over on my YouTube channel I would point you to. Just go to YouTube and search Alan Averill. There's some Cool chats with a few various people coming up. There's some comedians. Me and Joe from Gamma Bomb are doing our Metal Salvage thing again. Um, This and that. There's been a period of sort of, you know, seasonal inactivity, as I would say, visually, because I do understand that there's been... Well, I do get some pressure to do these podcasts with a visual element, but that would make me also a TV presenter, which I am not quite ready to do. Um, I'm not going to say just yet, but... It is a podcast, so let's just keep it at the audio for now. 
So I would say strap yourself in, but maybe not. You can go over and support the show over at patreon.com slash Alan Averill. Um, there's various things that go on there, discussions, there's demos of songs, unheard stuff, other podcasts, all sorts of things. Um, there is no tears because I don't really understand how it all works, but there you go. Go over and take a look if you wish, or if you wish to support the show, or all the things that I'm trying to support with the show. Freedom of speech, um, critical, rational thinking, skepticism, and, of course, to try and keep my own madness at bay. Anyway, like I said before, I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band and all that kind of thing. So, at the very least, make some strong coffee and get staring out that damn window at the rain as I think much of this month is going to be doing, is going to be spent doing exactly that. So, I took to Instagram to vent a little bit of anger. I was feeling a bit poorly, a bit under the weather, but we won't go into that. But I took to Instagram to vent some little anger. And who could blame me? Who could blame me, right? Ireland is still working off an 8pm curfew. Well, at least that's when everything closes, so ostensibly a curfew in all but name, as the city is empty by quarter past half eight. Of course, no doubt you're bored of me saying this, but I'll say it once again. No art, no music, just sit at your table till eight. No gigs, of course. There's been little or no gigs of any description. We had one month, roughly maybe a little bit less, where some things were allowed to happen and then it was all pulled back. No social sites, no social society to speak of. The city here, as I look out my window, will be empty and dead by 8.30 this evening. So I posted something very particular, very particular to the gram about the situation and sparked off a couple of mini rows. My first shows of the year have been cancelled, a Dread Sovereign mini tour in Germany that was booked for the end of February into March. So yeah, you could say I was staring out the window just thinking to myself, is this going to be another year of exactly the same thing? And of course, just anger at the fact that there are things happening in other countries, people are moving ahead, but Ireland is still stuck in the mire of a closed society. Um, and so, yeah, who would blame me for being a little bit grumpy? And I have no doubt, as I said before, more gigs will slowly follow. But what I found incredible was, um, you know, and I'll, I'll discuss this a bit, but I found incredible was how many people or at least an active minority seemed to very easy, very easily jump to misrepresent my words. Angry at me for being angry. And I've said this to people before. Um, rather than protesting the protesters, why not try and examine what it is they are protesting about. Now, I understand that in a society that has been, in my opinion, perfectly siloed, um, and that means really played by institutions of power and state and the political class in, a, in classic divide-and-conquer terms to be at each other's throats over reasons they do not really know why or wherefore, this left and right so-called, let's call it the emotional axis of left and right, another pretty much irrelevant terms. Um, I feel that we've been played and that if people would sit down and maybe try and have the debate, they would find that they had some common ground. But people get angry at me for being angry, which is in itself, and I'll say this um, over the course of the podcast, something of an intellectual cul-de-sac. Um, but they easily jump to misrepresent my words, angry at me for being angry. And it made me wonder, how can I get into their mindset and try and understand where they're coming from? 
For me, as I stated in the post, if you didn't see it, it doesn't matter. It was mainly a quote from Nietzsche, without life, or sorry, without life. Without music, life would be a mistake. And then just basically um, a comment about Harlem was still shut, how the state and government um, lean into art and culture when it suits them, but will just shut it down um, at, a, at a moment's notice, while other countries are trying to move ahead and give people something, and that our unelected health officials are making these decisions, and that the whole of society has to stand behind them. And they are unelected. They are unelected. And some people took issue with my comment of that. But let's let's take a look. Let's dig under the surface a little bit. Um, for me, as I stated in my post, the idea that an unelected health board, um, mainly one man, um, can make decisions which affect five plus million people and with such impunity. Now, of course, if you don't live in Ireland um, and don't know the context directly, then you can't be standing in the same place as me. Um, you probably have your own de facto um, mini tyrants and mini Napoleons to deal with of all size and stature. But this is ours and this is mine. But, f but for a country, as I said, that leans into being an artistic nation, the way art, music, expression, of course, has been treated is absolutely terrible. And being part of that, this was the angle for my post. If you've written a book and decide that you want to have a book launch, you cannot. If you've written a play and you decide you would like to put it on in a theatre, you cannot. If you've written a song and would like to play it to some people who may listen, you may not in this country. But our country will, our elected leaders will, when there's a moment of pressure, go on about how much money they've given to the arts, which in reality, as I could, it seems to me, is just paying the rent for buildings that are sitting empty because they have decided that no one can use them. So... Um, this is what it's about. This is this was my angle, questioning experts. Who am I to question experts was one of the angry sideswipes. Well, we're all free to question anyone. And that's kind of the point of the podcast, Agitators Anonymous. Um, we're all free to question anyone. Um, and the truth is that health, um, let's say experts, are not experts in economics. They are not experts experts in the drastic repercussions that restrictions have on society. Um, they are not experts in the repercussions that holding uh, many, many people at bay from their uh, screenings, from their, um, let's call it, let's say their cancer checkups, holding people at bay from attending um, hospitals or their local GP or all that kind of stuff. The knock-on effect will be massive from the things that are held at bay, so to speak, the restrictions um, that they have on society, that are in place in society. They are not experts in economics. They are not experts in terms of people's mental health, nor are they experts in telling you how to pay the rent on your small business that's been shut for next to two years. Um, so you can question experts when their decisions are impinging upon many other angles of society. It is your democratic right. It is your right. Um, it is your freedom of speech to do so. Um, if your objective as a so-called expert is only dealing with case numbers, then what else are you an expert in? When can we consider the wider, when we consider the wider implications? I would say I am in a far greater position to consider the knock-on effects for the music industry and the musician's perspective than any of those people. That would make me somewhat of an expert and so therefore in a position to discuss 
um, the dreadful effect it's, effect it's having on the music industry. Of course, you are free to discuss any of those things. The idea also that somehow experts have also taken on a quasi-religious place in our society is very, very dangerous. Um, for a practical example, because one thing I realize is that a friend of mine said, you're speaking in sound bites sometimes. You need to give practical examples to back of what you're talking about. And um, she said to me, I know the reason you do that because you've been thinking about this stuff for such a long time in, in, in such a in such a obsessive, compulsive, in-depth way that you just haven't got the time to try and catch other people up to speed sometimes. And of course, of course, because you're, you're an impatient dickhead. Yeah, I would say good point. So practical example in the trust of experts. For 50 years, the tobacco industry fought the notion that smoking caused cancer. Watch the documentary Merchants of Doubt or just put in um, documentaries, uh, tobacco industry into YouTube and tons will come up. Merchants of Doubt and watch. So the idea that experts are somehow untouchable is patently untrue. The idea that their expertise is not compromised is a very naive way of looking at the world. Of course, they can be. Of course, this is part of the problem with any modern narrative, that no one trusts anyone. I understand that. And of course, look at what's happened over the last four or five years. How could they? We were told one thing by the polls. This candidate in this election has a 99% chance of winning. Did they win? No, they didn't. Yet we are told to trust... Um, Yet we are told to trust all of these polls that seem to bolster the government's and health officials' um, views on restrictions. Um, who are they asking? Um, are the polls simply just thrown out there to a mould public opinion? I would say that that's probably um, more of a true reflection. As I stated before, you've all seen the YouTube clip or else just go and have a look on YouTube. The clip of all the intros to all the shows on CNN that Pfizer sponsors. Um, good morning, blah, 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 sponsored by Pfizer. So how then could you expect a medical expert on those shows following that intro to criticise the actions of Big Pharma? You can't. They are compromised by, well, by the fact that the show is sponsored by their, um, the people they are in payment to, or whatever you want to say. This shouldn't be too hard to follow. The logical question is, of course, who funds the experts? Who funds the research labs? Does the funding for their research come from transnational corporations who have no wish for objectivity? The idea that this is not a reality is so naive that it almost hurts my brain. Who funds the research? Who funded the research for that lab in Wuhan? You may find your way back to the very same people who are telling us right now what is and what is not mandated. You will probably find the name of Mr. Fauci somewhere in there as well. Of course, I'm not saying every expert is like this, but we clearly have seen behavioral psychologists advising government and health officials during the pandemic. The nudge. So what is this desire to shut me down when I discuss these things? What is that desire? To be angry at the people who are angry. Because, in my opinion, if you are, then you have swallowed wholly the propaganda that states anyone asking a question is basically a verbal murderer. They want to kill Granny because they have a question. This is the very simplistic view of the situation that we find ourselves in. And it's a very emotional view of the world that we find ourselves in. It is also a very faith-based view of the world, in my opinion. It's about faith. 
more and more. I feel it is about faith. Some people have faith, others don't. And on any level, people don't like when you challenge their faith. Of course, I understand the society as it is um, may collapse if we did not tell ourselves grand narratives or have brand loyalty to flag nation and state. But on some level, you have to be able to step outside that sometimes to view things objectively or at least to understand that the truth does lie in the grey area between those things and that the polar opposites don't really hold any uh, truth in the, in the context of a grand narrative or trust. You have to have trust that the police are doing a certain job and keeping bad guys from your door, etc. But we do know there are corrupt policemen. We have known that. We do know the police are sent out to the... We do know that the police are sent out to the streets to do the work of corrupt politicians. So is it simply that I'm questioning someone's faith? The faith that all these experts have our best interest at heart is patently untrue. Did they have your best interest at heart when they sent your sons off to war in a foreign land? A little bit of riot lyrics there for you. No, they didn't. Um, And the list of all of those things is endless. When we were small kids, um, as an example, I was just telling somebody only the other day, when we were small kids in Ireland in the 1980s, um, the teachers uh, threw us around the place, hit us, hit us with rulers, hit us with books, physically threw us around the place. Do I have faith in the Institute of Education? Yes and no. It is informed by my, my experience, yes and no. But like everything, the truth is grey. So some experts are no doubt compromised and some are not. But to be angry at me because I question the validity of certain expertise is neither here nor there in the grand scheme. It doesn't make any sense. We should be perfectly allowed to question so-called experts, especially when it affects every aspect of our lives, which... For example, restrictions on society do. Um, So there you go. That's one of the things I've tried to understand where people are coming from. And I think it's because I think it's because um, the idea that purgatory, that we're in a purgatory is too hard to deal with. The idea that life resides constantly in the gray area, that every situation must be evaluated on its individual merit. Context, context, context. It's beyond tiresome. I understand that people want a grand overarching narrative and they want that to be true. They want um, all of the experts, all the health officials, all the WHO, all these people to be just doing their damnedest to get us out of this mess. And by golly, we'll all pull together and society will come out the other side smiling. I mean, I would like that to be true, but that's not my worldview. Um, And in a couple of months, in five, six, seven months, as I've said before many times in the podcast, um, you can poke me in the ribs and buy me a beer and go, you went a bit crazy there. And I'll say, yep, I did. But it's coming on two years of crazy now. And I think it's about time for the people who are still sticking to the how many weeks to flatten the curve agenda to maybe, to maybe use a little bit of sceptical thinking. But I understand that for some people, the idea that these institutions um, behind the grand narrative don't have your best interests at heart is akin to, you know, uprooting um, the very foundations of your life, of uprooting the tree, of removing the solid foundations upon which you go about your day to day business. And that I completely understand. If you have family, if you have kids, if you have all those kind of things to believe 
that the world is set adrift like that is a rather dark prospect. And so I understand the pushback against people like me who are asking questions. But to say that I don't have the right or to say that sometimes they may be true is, of course, patently itself a nonsense. Some some people, I think, simply just don't want to go there. I get it. They don't want to open the door. So it's easy to use, for example, me as some form of emotional proxy. Who would be angry at skepticism? Who indeed? It seems like an intellectual cul-de-sac to me to be angry at a skeptic. Let's discuss every, or let's discuss any pivotal moment in history. Is there only ever one narrative? No, there isn't. There is hundreds, if not thousands. We have one last year. Take the withdrawal from Afghanistan, for example. What a crazy mess that was. A chaotic mess. Was there more than one narrative to that story? There certainly was. There was decades and decades. In fact, I did, some of you may remember, a podcast made in Afghanistan, all about the history of Afghanistan and what led right up to that point. Go back and have a listen to it if you wish to. But the idea that someone would say to me, there's only one narrative about Afghanistan and that's this, X to Y. It's untrue. There are many. And so therefore, that's what I've been trying to do to introduce the element to, to within the podcast that there is another narrative playing out. There has to be. It's mathematically impossible for there not to be another narrative. A family member told me it was like listening to her teenage son when I discussed some of these things at a seasonal gathering. Well, I mean, I was discussing all the things I discuss here on the podcast. And of course, the dark tone wasn't appreciated over the Brussels sprouts. But who does appreciate Brussels sprouts? But it got me thinking, is it because elements of my life maybe are not that removed from his? I avoided a punishing job, which ground down my energy to devote to considering these issues, stayed a heavy metal man child who avoided a life of responsibility. So therefore, the concerns of said teenage son, um, are somewhat similar, maybe, to some of mine. I certainly still live as looking around me in a room flanked by vinyls and um, skulls and bits of pieces of this and heavy metal buffoonery. That's the wrong word. Apologies to the gods of heavy metal for evoking that the B word. But I look around <clears throat> and it would seem to me that perhaps we share more with our teenage self if you've managed to avoid family and responsibility to some degree. Another family member said to me, but but you can do what you want, brow furrowed. I said, hey, curfew at eight. Of course we can't do what we want. Can you just go to the airport and travel where you want? No, you can't really. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. Yeah. And you, of course, realize that for many people out of sight, out of mind, rules that do not affect them, they don't think about. Rules that in, fe- rules that in theory do not affect me, Well, they anger me at their presence, which is an ideological thing. And that's kind of the difference. I don't want the state to have so much power over my daily life. There's the difference, maybe. When I hear about someone who has, for example, written a play and wants to put it on, but cannot because of these restrictions, I am angry on their behalf. And that's part of the problem of the situation that we're in is that people will only, it would seem to me, many people only engage with some of the things that are happening when it directly bumps up against them. Ask them to, for example, spare a few moments of anger to offer up a limb for musicians who are 
quite literally the last or going to be the last to be allowed out of the pen to try and be active live musicians in this world. And most people are like, eh, well, you know, yeah, I've got this thing to watch on Netflix. Can you stay quiet and get out, get out of the way of the TV? So I talked with said teenage son and we discussed, well, his name is in the title. We discussed Rogan. We discussed Joe Rogan. And then I realized, ah, this was one of the most common strains. Rogan is the most powerful person possibly in the world right now. One of. And if you ask me in the pandemic has been one of the most righteous voices. As in trying to get to the nub of what's happening um, during this uh, during this period, during the pandemic, trying to interview different people from all sides. Um, <clears throat> has been trying to have both sides of the debate, which let's be clear, big tech has been trying to censor. Oh, no, there's no such thing as big tech censorship. Oh, come on, really? Don't believe me? Then take a look at the furor around the furor around Robert Malone, um, one of the inventors of the mRNA vaccine, who had his Twitter removed, uh, went on to Rogan subsequently, and then the episode was blank. The video would not work. All sorts of technological mistakes or, well, fuckery was happening in order to, it was clear, stifle the debate. Is this where we are, where one of the inventors of the process you're being asked to trust in order to gain some freedoms back is being censored by the other half because they don't like what he has to say. This is another narrative. So if you've been angry at me for saying, oh, there's another narrative, there is indeed another narrative. And if you're one of those basic white biatches who wail on Rogan simply because he's like a symbol of the patriarchy, I had in brackets there that I should affect an accent. Um, Come on, wise up, really. I get it. He's a white male who hunts. But for the people who don't listen to the podcast, I would say wind your neck in and at least look at some of those last chats. They are invaluable to the debate, which is one we are not having. Do the papers anymore even question the validity of restrictions? Do they even discuss those things? And I mean, like we said before on the podcast, in the beginning, discussing the laboratory leak would have called you a conspiracy theorist. Now it's widely accepted as the most likely possible outcome. And everyone, yeah, yeah, whatever. And slowly but sure, all the, the Fauci's of the world begin to discuss things that were literally got you censored several months before. Does anyone hold the health experts to task over their drastically incorrect modeling statistics? I certainly haven't seen it. If so, or maybe you watched... Tim Dillon, who was one of my favorite modern comedians, trying to school Rogan on digital real estate. <clears throat> well, it was pretty funny. But underneath this is certainly something real. If people are going to be encouraged to take up AR, or that's what's expected, augmented reality living, then they are going to be buying themselves um, into some form of online life. To someone who wants to live in the real world, of course, this is an existential horror. And I find the concept beyond depressing that we would sit with glasses on, atrophying on our couch to take part in an online world because the world outside our windows is neither enough, stimulating enough, or it's just simply existing in restrictions and you should stay inside to save the world for climate change or you should stay inside for various other reasons to be kept safe, um, etc., etc., And I find the concept, um, well, obviously beyond depressing, but as Tim says, for many young people, this is now 
um, where they have their relevant first experiences and friendships are often online. So let's be flippant. Let's be flippant, my friends. Is social society as we know it or knew it simply collateral damage to this incoming or at least to this incoming life? Or at least it has been expedited by the pandemic into this living ideal. I mean, maybe, maybe. By the way, what's happening in Kazakhstan? Calling in Russian paratroopers because of a massive hike in fuel prices. <coughs> a little bird. Well, a little bird with a beard, no less. Um, told me Kazakhstan is uh, one of the centres in the world of Bitcoin mining. Now, I'm not going to claim to try and explain Bitcoin to you. And that seemed like an odd sentence to me. But apparently so. Is this true? Um, is this a move somehow underneath? Is there another narrative at play beneath Kazakhstan's fuel prices um, that may have something to do with the old system trying to root out these people to short out their mining capabilities. Watch this space. I don't know. Maybe you saw Oliver Stone, and cantankerous and grumpy as he was, but has made a new movie about JFK. JFK. Um, I've tried to read books about J the JFK assassination, uh, 1963, I think. Um, and again, another pivotal moment in history. Are there more than one narrative? Of course there is. It's 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 the treasure trove of conspiracy to try and understand what happened around JFK. And so there you go. It would be, um, again, proof to my pointing out, and it, it seems almost churlish and ridiculous to say so, but there you go it. You have the JFK um, murder. Do you know exactly what happened? Will you ever know? Probably not. But there are multiple narratives, just like there are multiple narratives happening during the pandemic. I mean, there has to be, right? Which comes back, brings me back to my original Instagram post. Censorship is also real, just like compromised experts are real. Cancel, cancel culture is real. To say it ain't so is again an object of faith. So when, let's say, an object of reason becomes a tool of faith, this is the rub. So where does this faith come from? Personally, I don't think I ever had any. I've been singing about that for 25 years. So the idea of all pulling together and giving institutions of power um, and the people who capitalize from them, somehow the benefit of the doubt seems to make no sense to me. Makes no sense to me. Um, but sure, what do I know? What does the year hold? Well, a few days ago, I was in a state-sponsored medical testing facility. And how dystopian to see Irish families traipsed to some dismal warehouse far, far from the city to be ushered into a long winding line um, of drones while pharmaceutical supplies packed to the rafters, packed to the ceiling, private contractors the state is no doubt paying millions to with the people with the people's money, with taxpayers' money. And who are these contractors? Do we have any, do we know about them? Would it be daft to suggest that they may have financial links to those making decisions that keep us in this state, in the state of perpetual testing and restrictions? I don't think that would be daft, at least to ask the question. But wouldn't that be asking questions of experts? I don't think it would be daft at all. In fact, it would be naive not to think about that or to spend a moment thinking about that. Of course, if you've got to get your kids to school and feed your kids and want to relax and just watch the TV in the evening, I understand that maybe you don't want to spare a moment thinking about that. I totally understand. Believe me, you don't need to be in my brain. I would say, stay out of it. Stay out of it. But to say that it doesn't exist, now this is a slightly different thing. 
And then it sort of became clear, if it wasn't before, standing on the yellow dots of the floor, shuffling 10 yards to 10 yards. This is a new economy. And this new economy is beyond huge, employing thousands of people who I guess at one time would have maybe been employed in the hospitality industry, right? Maybe would have worked in the local pub that is now closed. And it struck me that that social society, as that happened to be what I was thinking about, mulling over what to talk about in the podcast, it struck me that social society is what's being sacrificed on the altar for this new economy. Um, and for the percentage profiting from this, that you cannot go out to a gig. Yeah, it's more than going to a gig. Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. Just an example. Go and meet their friends. Kind of important as a social species, right? And go about your social business is neither here nor there. So is this it? Medical experts are the new religious leaders. The state, the new church. And questioning this relationship that we have with it, um, questioning this orthodoxy makes you a heretic, certainly feels like that to me. And then that would make the vaccine passport. The vaccine passport, does this not simply morph into, well, um, a modern day confessional book, um, charting, graphing and marking your transgressions as it may be rebranded just simply as a digital passport? Is that what it will take on the form of? Um, a chart, a digital chart, as I said, graphing. You go to the box to confess, confess your sins, only it will be done digitally to a form of the Chinese social currency system, which is in the post for our society. Maybe, maybe not. And grant the state more power and control of your lives. Grant that new church all of these new powers. Ironic that an atheistic system might be giving us our new prayer book. Could it be? Probably not. Probably not, you say. Who knows? It's certainly worth a thought because here we are and that technology already exists. Is it just that some people need this faith-based system in order to live their lives functionally? Without it, they're just on a rock hurtling through existential space. And because the West has been living in a vacuum of faith for since, let's say, the 1960s, where religion hasn't really had much power or much Um, relevance in society, that this now, this technological, this new technocracy that we may be heading towards will be the new religion for people. And people who do not wish to subscribe to this new model of living will be, as I said, um, heretics. They will be heterodox. Um, And so, as I said, are maybe the people who are angry at those who are proposing, holding their hands up and going, I wish to poke my head above the parapet and say, I'm a heretic, I have a question. Are the people who are angry at them those who merely want a structure of understanding, of faith-based understanding to be able to live their lives and don't want to open the door to all of those questions about, about faith? And coming across somebody who wants to ask those questions is simply upsetting. And as we know very well, upset is something that people... Being offended is something that... Um, is almost will cast you as a heretic to the to the fire if we live in a society that prizes safety so much. Being angry at those of us who have heretical questions, I don't need to see your ghosts. If you need them to survive, that's okay. Now, Alan, 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 come on, fair enough. I'm being hyperbolic and irritating for effect. I get that, no problem. And feel free to send the podcast to somebody you know who will be annoyed at this. It might not be this at all. And for the most part, 
and let's be fair to the people who are, let's say, um, questioning me. It might just be that what this is is, for the most part, just a risk adverse, a risk averse bureaucracy, trying to deal with the situation as best it can, but flawed and human, and being flawed and being human about it. And that this final variant is the last gasp of the virus, and that by spring we'll be back to something approaching normal. Um, the vaccine passports will be forgotten as they were promised once there was no more pandemic. We'll be go back to approaching normal and we can all hug and embrace and dance with a stranger. Do you remember I said that? This summer I said you will never dance with a stranger and I got quite a few emails and rather sad messages from people once they realized like, oh, yeah, we don't. Of course, this is very possible. Um, if you have been following the podcast, of course, and listening really to what I've been saying, I've been saying the truth resides in the grey area and I've never ruled out that it is just that. Or does it mean that between now and spring there has to be a new narrative, a new dominant story in order for restrictions to stay in place in one way or the other? Is it enough to say, just in case for your own safety, um, we'll keep some? Certainly we've been sold safety over freedom for two years and people's habits have changed. I see that in people. Or it might be, might it just be, let's put forward a certain dark scenario, a hypothetical, um, pull your chair closer. Talking to friends who work for government, it appears almost every other meeting is about pivotal, is about pivoting to digital tourism, to A or tourism. And um, economies that were shattered, small businesses that were based around tourists arriving to their small towns, um, who are being on their knees because of restrictions, are basically being told to meet that shortfall, you should pivot to the AOR economy. And that and that meeting, um, and if the meeting is not about that, it's about pivoting to the green economy. Carbon footprint discussions for individual people, for small businesses. So let's just run with that scenario for a moment. Of course, Ireland has always been paternalistic in its approach. It may be a matriarchal society, I think, but paternalistic in its approach. But if you read the World Economic Forum, Great Reset Ideals, etc., etc., which, you know, may be hokey, maybe not, the theory is, amongst others, that this is prepping. This is prepping for a generation that are going to be encouraged to stay inside. As I said before, digital real estate, digital relationships. So lockdowns, which had no precedence, now have precedence, get us used to this idea. And the slow removal of freedoms, i.e. socialising, is part of this prepping. It might not be true. I might have called the good name of the World Economic Forum into disrepute there, but there certainly might be some truth to this concept. And it may sound crazy to some of you, but some part of it might indeed be true. In fact, I would wager some part is true especially with all the incoming the incoming climate conversation nobody is saying that doesn't ha- that that isn't an important conversation but i sense that it's going to be used as the new stick of fear with which to beat people and accept restrictions it might be wrong but that's what it feels to me that this is the prep for that next thing and what government many people go oh what government wants to keep its people inside what government wants this doesn't you know what government wants that people um, aren't able to go out and be social with each other. And uh, um, I would say all do. All governments. The very nature of government itself, rule and law. Um, Why would they not want more rules and more laws? I mean, think about it, really. 
Um, what government doesn't want cities that are easily policed showrooms where only rich people come out and eat and live in and spend money, where nightlife and socialising is a controlled environment via um, access passports, which are, as I said, controlled by institutions of the state. What government doesn't want to have this safe and anodyne city? They aren't out in amongst it. But what government doesn't want more rules, more restrictions? I would say none. That's the very nature of power. I mean, it's not complete theory. It's just a sort of random shot in the dark. But, <clears throat> but who knows? Or do we simply get the incoming Big Pharma bill and things move back to reopening? They made their money and they head for the highway for the moment um, before they return with some form of daily pill, which I'm pretty sure is coming. They've established their broad customer base that now needs their product in order to access life from an early age if, they're, if they've done their um, work properly. I mean, who could have dreamt of a bigger, more robust cash cow? They now have something that they can probably sell to, I don't know, probably sell to children in the form of a daily, um, a daily COVID pill, something like this. So you got your customer there from birth. So have people simply traded their social lives in for this new uh, biomedical security state. And we are social animals. Um, and we are social animals. And we've traded that in for safety. Being kept safe by a small percentage of people who will benefit from that. And let's be clear, won't follow the same rules that are in place for you. Um, we've granted them extraordinary powers um, to unelected officials that I feel won't get revoked. And most have sadly accepted that this is simply how life is now. So I return, my friends, in the first episode of the year to beating the same drum. Beating the same drum. And believe me, believe me, I hope to put that drum away. Um, and, you know, if all of this falls apart in a couple of months, I'll burn that damn drum and I will never mention it again and we can move on to season two and it will be all much more positive and upbeat. But I return to my original Instagram post. Life without music would be a mistake. And how easily it feels that so many people have simply accepted that we do not gather to hear music, to take part in art, to take part in any of these things, to gather at all. It feels like a rather grim start to the year. And I know when I look outside, it's lashing rain and probably some sleet and some snow is mixed in, is mixed in there as well. And who really wants to go outside? But I'd still like the option to do that, to exercise my inalienable right as a human being who wishes to live in the real world, not in the metaverse. And so it feels like a grim start to the year, but um, I'm fashioning a new drum and I hope to be beating that one alongside. What better way to express my joy than a one man drum circle? Anyway, the fact that people are angry at those who have questions about this joyless life we might be shuttling towards is an intellectual cul-de-sac. So, my friends, don't be a covadict. You are, of course, free to disagree. Alan Averill, Agitators Anonymous. Over and out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 